Anybody ever heard of Rube Goldberg? Not, he wasn't a wrestler. Let me just go ahead and get that out of the way. He's not spearing people. Rube Goldberg. Rube Goldberg was an American inventor and cartoonist who became known for drawing cartoons depicting simple tasks being done, quote, automatically through a series of complicated chain reactions. Let me show you one of his cartoons. You won't be able to see it, but I'll, I'll read it for you. What this is called is a simple machine to keep employees happy on payday. And what this guy does, the treasurer pulls a rod working the applause apparatus, it says. A midget actor hears the applause and takes a bow. And that bow activates a bottle that has laughing gas in it, which sprays on the employee, which you can't see it, but there's deductions on his check so that his check is down to like six cents. So the Rube Goldberg machine keeps the employees happy on payday, starting with a simple clap. Midget takes a bow, sprays the gas, gas hits the guy, he's happy, he's laughing, he don't care that there's only six cents. So those are the kind of cartoons that Rube Goldberg drew, and he had multi-panels, he had different ones. But now... In our day, a Rube Goldberg machine is a contraption, invention, device, or apparatus that is deliberately over-engineered to perform a simple task in a complicated fashion, generally including a chain reaction. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. So that's a Rube Goldberg machine, an example of one. See how everything happens in a series following an initial act or incident. In the cartoon, the guy did the applause thing leading to the midget bowing, leading to the gas being sprayed, leading to the employee not being upset about his paycheck deductions. And then the video. The guy turned his page and a lot of stuff happened. I'm not going to get into everything that happened there leading to the toast coming to his mouth and the juice being poured into his mouth as well. An initial act setting off a chain of events with an end result. Today in our text, we're going to see the same progression. Our task is going to be to discern what came first and what resulted from the initial act and what is the final outcome. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4, and I think we'll actually get through verse 4 today. I know we spent two weeks in verse 1, but uh, that was on purpose. So, But let's look at uh, Romans 8, 1 through 4, and I will ask you one more time to stand as we read the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let me pray. God, Your Word is perfect. It restores the soul. It convicts us. It heals us. It builds us up. And we pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would be true to Your Word this morning, knowing that You will. We give You thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, if, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I'll put it back up here. But if you look at this text, you see some therefores and fours, right? Therefore, now no condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh in order that. Okay? So what we've got to do today is kind of sort out the therefores and fours and in order that's. And please hear me. I think it is important that we know what is the cause and what is the effect in all of this. We'll get into that through the message. But for now, let me just say that if you get your order off in this progression, you will not understand the fullness of what God has done and how He would have you walk now. If any of those things fell apart in that Rube Goldberg machine, dude don't get his toast in his mouth. He's going to have to get up and get it. So... Yeah, it's kind of important here. So here we go. Let me start with the review of where we've been. Quickly, we're working through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 8. We've seen sin, the need for being right with God in chapter 1, 1 through 3.20. Point 2 was justification by faith, starting in 3.21, going through 4.25. There is one way to be saved. We sang that this morning. And the only way that you can be saved is by grace, through faith, and the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You say, that's not fair. Actually, it is fair. It's not fair that you should be saved at all, truthfully. But there's only one way that you're saved, and that is by grace through faith. And that brought us to point three, blessings, the results of being right with God. You're like, well, I don't care if I'm right with God or not. Well, you should care. Because when you realize the blessings that come out of being right with God, and then when you understand the condemnation that comes if you're not, you should care. Through the process, we've talked about Asian station. Expiation is God taking the guilt of our sin away from us. Propitiation is Him taking the full vent of His anger against that sin upon the person of Christ. Imputation is God imputing to us, giving to us the righteousness of Christ, leading to a state of justification. I'm right to be in God's presence. And then we begin after justification. This is really going to be the main point this morning, is the connection between justification and sanctification. When we are justified, we begin the process of sanctification, which is living out what God has put into us. And salvation, again, love to say it, before the foundation of the world we were saved, at one point in time we were saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be fully saved. That's salvation. This all revolves around our union with Christ. We talked last week about being in Christ. We have been crucified with Him. We will be raised with Him so that we might walk in newness of life now. We talked about know, believe, reckon, do. you got to know it, believe it, reckon it to your account, and then do it. And there was a 
process through Romans 4 through 7 where we are justified. Since we're justified, we have peace with God. Chapter 6 told us we're free from and dead to sin. And then Romans 7 showed us that we were dead to the law, which set us up for Romans 8, 1. Therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a lot. And again, I'll say later, none of these messages are standalone messages. They've got to be taken in the whole pool. You can't take out one drop and say, this is a good drop. It is a good drop, but it doesn't make any sense if you take it away from the rest of the pool. So, that's where we've been. And I repeat, all of this is because... I repeat all of this because it is essential that we see the connection of all of it in order to make sense of what is being said in our current passage. Now remember, Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Rome and the chain of thoughts build on one another. He's a great legal expert and man, it just connects so well. You can't segregate one passage from another. Everything that was true in chapter 2 is still true in chapter 8. Then when Paul said we should never even consider it to be a possibility to go on sinning once we're under grace in chapter 6, well, that'll still be true in chapter 12. So he's not refuting himself. He's not contradicting himself from one place to another. It's not possible to take one of these messages in this book and separate it from the others. It's just too interconnected. Like any step in that Rube Goldberg machine, if you take any step out of it, it doesn't work. So that's why it's important to study the totality of Scripture and the totality of one book in Scripture and keep it all in line. Because if you don't, you're going to miss something. You're going to say, yeah, but you're saying this today. Well, you've got to understand I said something else six weeks ago that ties to that. So it's very important, very important to understand that. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our progression here in chapter 8. Now as a primer of how this will unfold, here's the first words in each verse. Verse 1. In the Greek, the first word is therefore. Verse 2, 4. Verse 3, 4. And verse 4, in order that. So again, do you see a progression? Do you see that all of this is connected to each other? Because that's very important. Therefore, 4, 4, in order that. Surely some interconnected thoughts here, some sort of progression. So the question that I want to ask you is, is it verse 1 leading to verse 2, leading to verse 3, leading to verse 4? Or is there some other order? Let's see. But in order to, in order to, in order that, I do have to back up a little bit. Let's look at the progression. So verse 1. Our no condemnation and our being in Christ was actually presented to show that in the midst of being a wretched man in chapter 7, in the midst of sin dwelling in my flesh... I am not and will not be condemned because I am in Christ. Let me read 7, 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So after seeing that I'm serving the law of God and the law of sin, we see necessarily in the next verse... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now you see the connection? Because that's really important. I'm a wretched man 
serving the law of God with my mind and the law of sin with my flesh, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm serving the law of God and the law of sin, so now there is no condemnation. And we hit that pretty hard two weeks ago. I'm not waiting on a time or a place where I'm not sinning for there to be no condemnation. Did you hear that? I don't have to wait till I get up the road somewhere and have arrived at some idea of perfection before there is no condemnation for me. It's in the midst of my sin, in the midst of sin dwelling in my flesh. Now, there is no condemnation. It is now. So my no condemnation is not and is never a result of what I do or don't do. Did you hear that? Me being in a state of no condemnation is not and is never a result of what I do or don't do. It's a result of me being in Christ Jesus. And if you'll remember from the message last week, who put me in Christ Jesus? 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31, And because of Him, which was God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in what they've done. Let them boast in their good behavior. Let them boast in the fact that they are much better today than they were yesterday. They don't drink or chew or run with those who do. Try that one when you get before the throne. God, I don't drink or chew, nor do I run with those who do. Well, good, no condemnation. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. It is a result of me being in Christ Jesus. And by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. God did it. God's action preceded and precipitated me being in Christ. I need to read that sentence again. God's action preceded and precipitated me being in Christ. That's important to know going forward. God placed me in Christ. Now, no condemnation. In the midst of my sinning, in my sinful flesh and serving God's law in my mind, no condemnation. Now, verse 2, which ends up being the verse presenting the main issue today. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what's the first word? For. Man, Paul loves that word, doesn't he? Now it's a problematic word if we're going to find what is a cause and what is a result in this progression. What does four mean? It's not the number after three. That's not the four we're talking about. Now four can mean a couple of different things. John Piper gave a great example, and instead of me trying to do better or paraphrase him, I'm just going to quote him. Okay? We use the word for, he says, or because in two ways. We say, I'm really hungry... Because my stomach is growling. And we say, I'm really hungry because I didn't have any breakfast. The growling stomach is evidence that I'm hungry, not the basis or the cause of my hunger. But not having breakfast is the basis and cause of my hunger. We use the word for, he concludes, or because, 
in both senses, and so do the biblical writers. End quote. So how does that translate here? How does that fit into this passage? Look at the verse again. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So in connection to there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, back in verse 1, is verse 2 the cause or an effect of that? You say, well, who cares? You should, and I'll tell you why. Is verse 2 the growling stomach or is verse 2 the missed breakfast? And does it matter? Let me answer the second question first. Yes, okay? It does matter. We'll see why in a minute. When is, there no, not, when is there no condemnation for us? Now, that's the correct answer. 100% correct. You get full credit for that, Steve. Extra credit for saying it, actually. I don't have any chocolate, sorry. So when is there no, when is there no condemnation? Now, by who's doing? That's an easier question. God's doing. Is there sin and or sinning in the midst of our no condemnation? Yes. Sin is dwelling in our flesh and we are serving the law of sin with our flesh. And in the midst of that, is there condemnation? No. So, is Paul saying here in verse 2 that being free from the law of sin and death is the reason that there is no, no, now no condemnation? No. Okay, stay with me. Could it be a result of there being no condemnation? To me, that seems right. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It's not freedom from sin that brings about our no condemnation. Hmm? But there being no condemnation can and does help bring about our freedom from the law of sin and death. Track them with me? Does that make sense? Okay, good. Yes is a good answer. I like that. You see the progression? Being free from the law of sin and death does not lead to there being no condemnation, but being free from condemnation can lead to realizing the freedom from the law of sin and death that we have as a result of the work of the law of the Spirit of life. And as quickly as I can, what's with the law of the Spirit of life and the law of sin and death? One commentator put it like this, Law means power or principle or impulse or authority. Sin works a certain way with power and authority and it leads to death. And that's called the law of sin and death. And the Spirit of God works a certain way with power and authority leading to life and that's called the law of the Spirit of life. Okay? And what has the law of the Spirit of life done? It has set us free from the law of sin and death. And what that means is when we were born again by God's doing, when we were placed in Christ, we had placed in us... A new law, a new power, a new principle, impulse and authority that set us free from the law of sin and death that lives in our flesh. It's an available power that was not there before. And that law of the spirit of life has set us free and that freedom is something that we experience progressively in increasing measure if we will yield to it. That's what sanctification is all about. 
and what preceded our sanctification? Our justification. Necessarily. The order is imperatively important. Justification, then sanctification. Our sanctification, our experience of our freedom from sin, follows our being declared just. Our sanctification follows our being declared right in God's sight. No condemnation in Christ, and as a result, freedom from the law of sin and death. Listen, if you are fighting for your justification, you will lose, and you will miss your justification and your sanctification. If you are fighting from your justification, you'll also experience your sanctification. And that is really, really big. This goes back to what we've talked about in the last two weeks, okay? Therefore now no condemnation and in Christ. That's the last two messages that we've looked at. If we are to advance in our pursuit of holiness practically... We have to know the holiness that has been proclaimed over us technically and judiciously. I have been declared righteous and from that ground I seek to live righteously. It can't be any other way. But since it is this way, it's a surety. God has declared you righteous and He is working to make that evident in your life. How is He doing that? By the law of the Spirit of life. And that law is the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture also calls Him the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. The law, that law is the power of the Holy Spirit who is giving you life. And the Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God Himself. So, connecting that with last week, I am in Christ... And because of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ is in me. How comforting is that? I'm placed in Christ and Christ is placed in me. I'm in Christ by God's doing. And if we look at Romans 5.5... The Holy Spirit is in us by God's doing. Romans 5 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I'm justified by being placed in Christ and I'm being sanctified by the Holy Spirit being placed in me. And this process of sanctification is the proof that I have been justified. No condemnation in Christ For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. As I live in that freedom more and more in the process of sanctification, I show the proof more and more of my justification. Now that's a lot. Let that simmer for a second. Turn the crock pot down. We've been boiling. Come back to the crock pot after 30 minutes and you... Let's take the lid off. Let's turn it down. Okay, because that's a lot to process. So let's go into verses 3 and 4 to try to simmer this into our spirits. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now how can this be? How can this happen? How can we walk in holiness and experience God's life in us? For God has done something. And what He has done is what the law couldn't do. And we spent a lot of time talking about the law in chapter 7. What couldn't the law do? Let me tell you two things the law couldn't do. The law couldn't save us and the law couldn't sanctify us. Couldn't do either of those things. That's why we had to die to it so that we could be joined to another back in the beginning of chapter 7. And why couldn't the law do those things? Because of the weakness of our flesh, according to verse 3. It's not the law's fault. The law was good, holy, perfect. But the law didn't have good tools to operate with because all the law had was our flesh. And we've already talked about what's in our flesh. What's in our flesh? Sin. Sin lives in our flesh. So here comes the law saying, hey, you need to be perfect. Okay, let's see how this works. And we don't do it so well. Our Rube Goldberg machine falls apart at the beginning. We never... Not the law's fault. The weakness is in our flesh. The law is good and right and holy, but it's powerless to save us because our flesh cannot keep the law. So what did God do? He sent His own Son in the likeness of human flesh and for sin. Jesus came in the flesh as a man, God in the flesh, very God of very God, very man of very man, for what purpose? To condemn sin in the flesh. Now what does that mean? It means that Jesus took our sin upon His body, His mortal body. He carried our sin to the cross. He was crucified. He was killed to bring about the end of our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. What did we say when we took the table this morning? Jesus said, Behold, this is my body given for you. Why was it broken? Why did His body have to die? Because our sins were placed upon His body. And He carried them to the cross. And He killed them. Okay, Jesus killed my sin. That's good. Good, I'm glad. He condemned sin in the flesh. No condemnation for us because He condemned sin in His flesh. Familiar verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Here is propitiation and imputation walking hand in hand. And why? In order that... Now here's the end game. Why did all of this happen? What's what's the toast in the mouth moment here? This is the end game in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? Now wait a minute, we just said we couldn't fulfill the law, right? Weakened by the flesh, the law couldn't save us or sanctify us. But here, 
It says that all of this was done, one, two, three, four, even back in chapter 7, back in chapter 1, all of this was done in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Nope. In us. You get that? The end game is in order that we might live righteously. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, realized in us. So that our lives might show the righteousness that has been given to us in Christ. So that our sanctification might show our justification. God took away our sin by killing it in Jesus so that we could live a holy life. God gave us Jesus' righteousness so that we could, in Him and Him in us, live righteously even in the midst of the presence of the law of sin that lives in my flesh. Now, does that mean we don't sin? Unfortunately, no. It does not mean that. But when I do sin, listen, I know that I am not condemned and that there is a power in me that can set me free from the influence and pull of the sin that is ever present in me. And that's really good news. And what about this end clause here? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now that just brings us back to the law of sin and death and the law of the Spirit of life. Before we were born again, the only law, the only power that held sway over us was the law of sin and death. So if you're not born again here today, one law operating in your life, and that's the law of sin and death. One law, sin and death. That's all you got. That's the only option you got. You say, well, that's not very nice. Trying to be nice. Before we were born again, the only law, the only power that held sway over us was the law of sin and death. That's all we had. But after regeneration, after being born again, a new law was present. The law of the Spirit of life. Here, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, urges us to walk which means to proceed, to live our lives according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You want to talk about free will? This is free will. As a born-again believer, you have the option. You can choose, do I walk according to the Spirit or do I walk according to the flesh? You get to choose. I wish a lot of times I didn't have the ability to choose. I wish I was just a robot. And God said, oh, no, 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 that's law of sin and death. Come this way, law of spirit and life. But unfortunately, I've got a choice. And we'll expand on this next week and following. But right now, we'll end this by saying, we can choose as Christians, as believers, as those who are in Christ, we can choose to walk in the power of the Spirit. And when we do, that brings about a righteous life which is a sure sign that you have been declared righteous by the very word of, by the very act of God Himself. You living out the life God has given you in the power of the Spirit. Listen, I'm not just saved in Christ in heaven. I am saved by the power of the Spirit here on earth too. And that's the purpose that we see here. In order that we might walk according to the Spirit. So all that being said, let's move to application. So let me give you my proposal for the progression here. You ready? Verse 1 was caused by the end of chapter 7. 
Verse 2 was a result of verse 1. And verse 3 happened because of verse 2. And verse 4 is the end result of verses 1, 2, and 3. It's pretty simple, right? <laughs> okay. No, really. Let me, uh, you want me to say it again? Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to expand on that. But I'll say it again. It's fun. The progression in these verses is verse 1 was caused by the end of chapter 7. Verse 2 was a result of verse 1. And verse 3 happened because of verse 2. And verse 4 is the end result of verses 1, 2, and 3. The main application point here is your life here on earth, your sanctification, listen, is a product of your justification. You cannot, you will not live a holy life until you know that you have been declared holy initially. And that holiness is a gift given to you on the basis of the work of Jesus, not your own work. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. No other way. And why are we saved by grace through faith? Now here's... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved by grace through faith by the work of Christ for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace through faith by the work of Christ for good works. Saved by grace so that we can live by grace. Saved by Christ's righteousness so we can live in Christ's righteousness. And here's where we get off track. So many of us, so many times, think we are living like we're living in order to please God in our own power. We live like we live in our own power trying to earn God's favor. And I know we've talked about this time and time and time again. They asked Martin Luther, Martin, why do you always preach the gospel? He said, because you always act like you don't believe it. Why do we need to talk about this again? Because I would almost guarantee that in this past week, you tried to do better to make God like you more. He said, no, I didn't. Praise God if you didn't, because I did. Man, I, I, I did better this morning. God must really be happy with me. It's not the way it works. But really, are you trying harder to live better in order to make God happy? And I've got two words for you. Stop it. Or do you think your conduct, conduct doesn't matter at all? Sinning because you think you can sin since grace has given you a license. Again, two words, stop it. They're both 100% wrong. Trying harder to live better in order to make God happy, stop it. Thinking your conduct doesn't matter and you can go on sinning because you're under grace, stop it. We've turned our salvation and our sanctification into some kind of Rube Goldberg machine with moving parts and multiple steps and bells and whistles and much more stuff than we've ever needed. 
if we can stop and see that it boils down to two simple facts. Us in Christ, which is our justification, and Christ in us, which is our sanctification. And our justification precedes our sanctification. Don't get them out of order. Or you make it not only more difficult than it should be, but you actually make it impossible. Your efforts to please God on your own, to earn His favor, to make Him happy, to make Him happy with you, miss the point altogether. Knowing that by His doing, you are in Christ. And then know that with His Holy Spirit in you, listen, it is Him working in and through you. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're like, oh, see? See? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See? See? Yes, work it out. But know it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And don't forget the order of it all. No condemnation in Christ, evidenced by our freedom from the law of sin and death, because God condemned sin in the body of Christ so that we can do righteousness by walking in the Spirit. That's chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. No condemnation in Christ, evidenced by our freedom from the law of sin and death, because God condemned sin in the body of Christ so that we can do righteousness by walking in the Spirit. Now I want to close with a perfect example of what this looks like from, sorry, I can't help it, John Piper. Again, I just I couldn't mess with it. It's too good. Sums all this up. Why does this matter? What's it like? Listen, he says, Suppose that you are on trial in a courtroom for a capital offense. Your life hangs in the balance. A guilty verdict will mean death and a not guilty verdict will mean freedom and life. And suppose the judge says to you, look, there are two ways we can deal with this. I can acquit you right now, decisively and irrevocably, and release you so that you can go and live a free and joyful and loving life that shows you really are not a rebellious, crime-loving lawbreaker, though you have been. Or I can postpone the trial and the verdict for several years and assign you a parole officer to watch you all the time and let you go out and prove yourself to the court by your life and then have the trial after that and base the verdict on whether your behavior was satisfactory or not. Piper goes on to say, Now, does the difference between these two options sound like nitpicking? In one case, you're free from condemnation and with gladness live a life that shows the wisdom and mercy of your judge. In the other case... You have the trial always hanging over your head and the basis of that future verdict will be your own behavior and whether you have measured up. How do you live in relation to God? Do you live like God is a benevolent Father who has declared you righteous because of the work of Christ? Or do you live like God is an angry judge who is just waiting for you to show up in heaven so he can drop the gavel? You didn't do good enough. That's why grace is so amazing. We don't deserve that. 
He has declared us not only innocent, but He's given us the perfect righteousness of Christ as a gift based on the work and the life of Christ so that we don't have a possible guilty verdict hanging over our heads for the rest of our lives. Listen, I want you to hear something, Christian. I've said it between here and the Midcliffe Center. I've probably said it 20 times. Christian, believer, God is not mad at you. Well, you don't know what I did. I don't care. I don't care what you did. There's nothing you could do that could take you out of Christ. Because there was nothing that you did that put you in Christ. By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. And no one can pluck you out of His hand. You say, yeah, but... It's the difference between fighting fearfully to get justified and fighting confidently because you are justified. It's the difference between your heavenly court trial being behind you with an irrevocable verdict of not guilty and your trial being in front of you with the verdict up in the air depending on your performance. It's the difference between the freedom of confidence and the bondage of fear. It's the difference between giving Christ the double glory of both being our righteousness as well as working righteousness in us and giving Him only the single glory of helping us become our own righteousness. He shares His glory with no one. And His glory is on display. Listen, Christian, listen. Through us, as we hear the verdict echo from the past... Not guilty. Righteous. And then the evidence starts to show in our lives as we walk in the Spirit who has been given to us as a gracious gift of God Himself. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I want to finish by just reading our initial passage in succession one more time so that you can piece it all together and see the progression. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. God, I'm glad that I couldn't have done it. I'm glad that I can't do it in and of myself. But I am glad also that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, I thank you that the verdict has been declared. The gavel has swung. The wrath has been poured out. 
And now you have shed your love abroad in my heart through the Holy Spirit who was given to me so that I might walk according to the law of the Spirit of life and not according to the law of sin and death. Yes, sin dwells in my flesh. And yes, I choose that option far too often. And the echo from the halls of heaven is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God, may my life evidence that verdict. May my sanctification flow from my justification. And when it is, when it does, then you are glorified in my present life. And that's what I want, God. That's what I ask for all of us who know you. For those who don't know you this morning, God, the wrath of God abides upon those who have not been born again. And the wrath of God will one day be poured out in eternal measure upon those who have not known you nor trusted you, who have not looked to Christ for their salvation but have tried it on their own. So Holy Spirit, would you convict those who don't know the work of Christ this morning? Would you convict them of their sins and show them that they can receive pardon from those sins because Jesus bore their sins on the cross? And if they will place their faith in Him, in the work of His birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, that you will declare them not guilty so that they might spend eternity with you after walking righteously here on earth. God, do what only you can do. And do it in us and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to receive a benediction? Now to Him, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring, out the obedience, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you all.